Hello, I'm Gareth. And I'm Shane. And welcome to Building Business Resilience. This is the podcast from Sanctuary Financial Planning, which helps growth business owners and social media influencers achieve financial independence. We're two passionate financial planners on a mission to seek out new ideas, tips and tricks to help you take control of your finances and run better businesses. We delve into the true goals and aspirations of our guests in order to provide you with some real value and positivity. Nothing outrageous, clear, simple, solid financial solutions. So let's move on to our guest. Welcome back to the Building Business Resilience Show. It's episode 25 and in today's show we're going to be talking to Daniel Priestley. Daniel started out as an entrepreneur at the age of 21 and built a multi-million pound event marketing and management business before the age of 25. A successful entrepreneur, international speaker and best-selling author, Daniel has built and sold business in Australia, Singapore and the UK. He's a founder of Dent, which runs a nine-month growth accelerator program for small enterprises, working with over 500 plus entrepreneurs each year to develop their businesses. Dent has offices in UK, USA, Singapore, and Australia. Dan uses campaigns to help raise up to £100,000 for charity each year and is connected to some of the world's best-known and celebrated entrepreneurs and leaders. With a passion for small, global businesses, Daniel is the author of four best-selling books, Key Person of Influence, Entrepreneur Revolution, Oversubscribed, and 24 Assets. Daniel has a lot to give back, and we're really excited to have him on this show. So, without much further ado, let's get started. Morning, uh, Daniel. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Good yeah, morning, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, I can imagine you're a you're extremely busy man at the moment. I know, but I'm really proud to be on this podcast because Neil Fackey was on last time, and if I'm following in his shoes, I'm quite happy with that. Oh, have you got a couple a couple of uh, medals as well? I've got no medals. That's why I'm so. That's why I'm so happy to be to be following in his shoes. Um, the speed, yeah, the no. speed that that man goes, I think we're we're all following um, uh, quite a distance shoes. behind. Exactly, exactly, exactly. The, the, the whole the whole cycling thing amazes me because if you've ever been to one of those tracks and you actually look at the slope on there. I have yeah. no idea how they actually cycle it. And he's he's doing it with a with a severe visual impairment. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> just like maybe that's a good thing. A, maybe it's just that he doesn't know what he's up against. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I could say I, I think I would need some of that blinking neck. I, yeah. I've looked at it and it's kind of it's just daunting the steepness of those uh, of those tracks. Those surfaces, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm glad to be on the podcast. Yeah, no, it, it's good. So how, I guess, how has, uh, how has lockdown been for you? Lockdown's been pretty amazing. We've, we've probably done two years worth of transformation in six months. Um, <laughs> all the goals that we, all the goals that where we wanted to take the business in our dreams kind of um, materialized. And um, actually it's been incredible. One of the, probably the biggest shift that we've had is the shift from a city model to a time zone model. So we were in seven cities. We actually had physical offices in seven cities. We had employees in seven cities. Um, you know, the whole, the whole bit, we were running physical uh, businesses in seven cities around the world. And we've just retracted back to having an office in London, Sydney, and Toronto covering the, the EMEA, Asia Pacific, and America's time zones. And it's just incredible. I mean, we're like here in in uh, in Europe, we're signing up clients in um, in Africa, in Nigeria, and uh, in Morocco, uh, and then all over Europe, we've got clients now in um, in Portugal, in uh, the Nordic countries, in Amsterdam. So suddenly, you know, it's just you know our Asia Pacific office just signed up a client in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in India. Um, and everyone's just jumping on the time zone delivery model. And it's incredible because we're doing more with three good offices as opposed to what we were doing with seven offices uh, a year ago. And um, the whole team is still employed. The whole team's still with us, but they're just, they're, we've just um, uh, put everyone onto a time zone team instead of a city team. Yeah. And um, it's just incredible how much we're, we're getting done now. It's like, uh, it's almost like someone flicked a switch and, and we're now, we are now the business that we wanted to be in our, yeah, you know, in our, in our vision, uh, but just much faster. 
Uh, was that a, a dream or an aspiration for the future or was that an adaptation of what's happened? The very first business plan that I wrote was all around getting to 20 cities. We wanted to have 20 cities that each did about two or three million per city um, in pounds. So, you know, our goal for getting to a 50 million pound a year business was around opening up 20 cities. And that was the business plan. And we built a city model kind of like a McDonald's, right? You, you know, McDonald's business plan is not necessarily to have huge restaurants, but it's just to have a restaurant everywhere. Um, so our, our goal was to have uh, 20 bases that ran the same uh, everywhere uh, in each city. And um, and what, what's what's wild about, you know, we didn't see obviously that we could do it this way and we thought that the market would never accept it that way. But COVID has kind of almost given people um, the education and the training to 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 participate, vir- you know, virtually and uh, mm. online and, um, and just, you know, it's just made everyone a lot more confident with the technology. So it's allowed us to achieve better than a 20 city vision because we're now, you know, we're now effectively not even worried about cities um, and we are signing up clients from 20 cities. So, um, so where we'll be in the next couple of years is we will literally be marketing into 20 to 50 cities uh, with our advertising and just signing up clients wherever they are and, um, and delivering great value wherever they are. When did that change? That, 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 was that model, you know, um, financial, pre-financial crisis thinking and all of a sudden it's changed now or is it, is it a constantly um, evolving model, I suppose, based well, on... It was, it was COVID, right? So we just had to figure out, well, what does our business look like in a post-COVID world? And we, we were just very quickly to have that conversation. We basically said, you know, I mean, when COVID hit and lockdown hit, we actually had programs running. So we had to deliver, deliver programs anyway. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with, you know, our team have got 50 to 60 people on the team. So we wanted to be able to continue running our marketing and, and making sales and doing all that sort of stuff. So we basically, we said, okay, well, what does the business look like based on this new landscape? What um, a great question that we always kind of play around with is if we're reverse engineering the future, what does the future look like? Um, so the whole idea being that, you know, rather than forward engineering the past, let's reverse engineer the future. Yeah, no, that's, um, it's good. I, I, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing it in our business here. You know, we've, we've had to adapt the way we work. You know, we were, we were heading towards the digital way of doing it anyway. And we've been doing a lot of that, but I think it's allowed us to really kind of turn and probably made us realize we can probably expand ourselves further than where we are and probably further afield with what we're doing, you know? So COVID's had its pluses, I guess, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, look, of course, the, from a health perspective, it's a disaster and it's tragic mm-hmm. um, from a business perspective sometimes a sometimes a big shock can really be the catalyst for positive change and look I, i'm also i'm also careful to to acknowledge that not every business has been able to adapt you know there are certain businesses that just cannot adapt there are certain businesses that are you know are probably listening to this going yeah okay it's good for you thanks yeah. thank you sunshine um but um <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we were in a fortunate position where we, you know, we were, we were made to adapt. But look, the other thing too is if we, I, I own several different businesses, not just the accelerator businesses. You know, we have, we have a film production and book publishing and a few different types of businesses that I'm involved in. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shareholder in half a dozen businesses that are, that are small, fast growth businesses. Every single one of our businesses had to make a significant change and basically have to, had to say, okay, what does this business look like? assuming that things never go back the way they were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's good. Um, let's, let's roll it back a bit um, for the listeners. This, um, this, do, this do the early years you know, where it kind of all started and, and, and just give us a bit of a kind of, I guess, uh, an outline then of, of what your current businesses are, which you, your kind of main focus is. Yeah, how, uh, how early do you want me to go? Not, not I guess where the, where the story starts, I guess. <laughs> well, look, my first entrepreneurial um, moment was when I was 10 and we had a, we had a little mini kitchen fire 
and it damaged a whole bunch of things in the kitchen and there was things were either water damaged or smoke damaged. And um, I got it in my head that I was going to clean this stuff up and sell it. And uh, I hosted a little garage sale. I got the neighbors to put their stuff into the garage sale and I ended up making enough money to buy a BMX and a Sega master system. And, uh, and it was just, it was just awesome. And it was this kind of, for me, it symbolized something negative had been turned into something positive. And it was a big problem in the house that we'd had this, this thing. And then it was a, a real kind of positive moment came out of it. And that was where I got the taste for, I didn't have a word for it. I had, you know, I got a taste for this idea that you can sell stuff and people give you money for stuff and, you know, and then you can buy new stuff. Um, so for whatever reason that those foundations were laid um, throughout my high school years, I was really lucky. I got a job at McDonald's um, and uh, I got to know the owner of the McDonald's. Our owner owned six McDonald's uh, restaurants um, each one was doing about $2 million a year. So he you know, had a pretty reasonable, sizable $10 million plus business empire with McDonald's. And he took me, took me under his wing a little bit, you know, and it wasn't a regular thing, but it was probably once every four or five months I'd see him and he'd have a, he'd have a coffee with me and I'd have a, a, a Coca-Cola and we'd sit down and, and, um, and he'd talk to me about what it's like being a business owner and business manager and, and, uh, and I got it in my head that I wanted to own a McDonald's one day and, you know, that would, I'd be a business owner. And uh, so that was kind of the foundational things. Super, super, super lucky, 19 years old, I joined a startup and, um, you know, because I'm on, on my business journey and it turns out that I've actually joined a super fast growth startup. I didn't know it at the time. There were three of us on the day that I joined sitting around his kitchen table, working on business plans and strategies and marketing headlines and all this sort of stuff. Uh, two years later, we're a six, $7 million a year business. We've got 50 people plus. Um, and I, I had this experience of two years of just nonstop fast growth business um, from the, from the absolute ground up. So I was just so lucky to have that as my first work experience to basically be part of a, a fast growth startup. So that was like the early years. Uh, 21, I decided to leave that startup and set up effectively in competition because I'd had a bit of a fight with the founder. Um, he decided he didn't want to give me shares and he actually joked and said, if you want shares in a company, go start your own. So I did. Um, and uh, I went off and started a company which became a very fast growth company itself. And I went from one to 10 million in under five years. Um, and I had my own national team, um, obviously all in Australia. Uh, exited that business, came to the UK, started another couple of businesses. Um, and, uh, and then fast forward to today, I've got a global business accelerator. We have 3000 clients around the world. Um, I've got, um, uh, a, a, a company companies in the group that include film production, book publishing, um, it services. I've just, uh, been part of a co-founded a new startup, which is a technology startup, which, uh, does hyper-targeted data-driven marketing for small businesses. Um, so a very technologically driven approach to, to marketing campaigns, um, called scoreapp.com. And, um, you know, we raised a few hundred thousand pounds from angel investors. We've just launched, we're going really nicely. So essentially, um, you know, I'm involved in startups. I've got a, a group of companies that are up and running and going and, and um, you know, successful. Um, I'm, I'm an angel investor myself. I take stakes in different companies. I've got uh, between three and 15% stakeholdings in half a dozen different companies. Um, so I'm kind of, I guess you could say I'm up to my elbows in entrepreneurship. I just, um, that's my wheelhouse. That's where I enjoy playing. Many different fingers and different pies, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love the stuff that you post on social media. And there was uh, some before, just before, sorry, just after the start of lockdown that were, I think was if you had X amount of thousand pounds, what would you do? And, you know, people were saying, you know, stick it in a bank and do this, that and the other. But you, you came out with something about do this and you broke it down properly like uh, a business owner you should be doing this 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 spend the money and you'll you'll you magnify that amount of money in x amount of years to come but what what should companies or entrepreneurs be doing now during this i think you're yeah i think you're referring to a blog that i wrote that was about how to spend 50 grand the 50 grand yes yeah and it was because the government was giving away those 50 grand loans so yeah. i said well how do you spend 50 grand and I said, ideally, what you want is to be sure that you will have something to show for it in a couple of years time. Um, so, 
if you purely and simply just uh, throw money at marketing into Facebook's pocket then um, or Google, then essentially you're not necessarily guaranteed you'll have something. You might have a client maybe um, or you might not. You might just put money into their pocket. Um, you could hire someone and maybe they'll leave within two years and, and you know, you've got the debt but you don't have the employee. Um, so I said you want to look for things where um, you're going to have that thing around for a while. So, for example, you might build some systems in your organisation that are robust systems. You know, you might put in, in place some technology, some IT. Um, I said, you, you know, you might uh, create some video, um, high-quality high evergreen video production. You know, for four or five grand, you create some explainer videos, you create some case studies and testimonial videos. Um, I said you might be able to create some audio podcasts because they tend to stick around for a long time and you can, especially if you leverage them for a long time, you know, you can create five or six episodes of videos or audios and then, you know, three years from now, you can still be sending those out to new yeah, clients. Yeah. Um, and, and I said adopt that mindset that you're trying to create things that will be around for at least five years. Um, so it could be, you know, I, I kind of define that as an any form of asset um, you know, that business asset, even things like winning an award. Like let's say you become a gold investors in people or award holder or an investors in people company might cost you two grand to go through the accreditation program project um, to be an investors in people company. But that sets you up to be a, an accredited investors in people company for the next several years. And once you've done that, you know, it's very easy to maintain it. And that means that you, you're much more likely to win government contracts. You're much more likely to work with corporate. So it's kind of one of those things that once you've got it, it's almost a bit of an asset to you long-term. Um, so the, yeah, but, but basically it was that mindset of don't spend it on stuff that could get frittered away, you know, spend it on stuff that might not give you an immediate like fast return on investment. But if you, if you buy a house, let's say, let's say you buy a house for 400,000 pounds you know, you're going to rent that out for a couple of grand a month. It's not going to immediately return you 400,000 pounds. No. So I was, I was sort of saying like, you know, you spend five grand on video uh, production for case studies and testimonials. It might not mean that, you know, the door explodes off the hinges with new clients on month one, but for the next four or five years, people are, you know, referring to those case studies and testimonials and, and, um, and, you know, doing business with you as a result. It's doing a bit of heavy lifting for years to come. Yes. Is, does that follow on from a second, it wasn't a blog you'd done recently, but I think it was more of a question where you threw something out. I think you increased the 50 grand to 100 and you said, what would you do with this? And you had said option A and B. And, and there was a, 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 a mindful of people that threw out all of their own opinions of, put it into Bitcoin, put it into gold, put it into, you know, this property. And it was it, reading, and I, I did comment on it, I, you know, they all used a very, very closed mindset of doing what they thought was best rather than looking at the, the big picture where the, the 50 grand was you as the expert saying, don't, don't look at what you think is right. Go and get help, guidance, professional expertise and, and find out what the right thing to do is with 50 grand. And I think the same thing is you just double the money and said, what would I do with hundred? And everyone came in with different opinions. And there was there yeah, must have been slightly different question. Cause rather than like, what would you do? Cause the, the 50 grand has to be spent in your business. If you get yeah. one of those, if you get one of those loans, you've got to spend it. You're not allowed to pull that money out and spend it on a house or art yeah. or shares. You're not allowed to pull it out and stick it in the footsie. Um, yeah. But um, but I said the second question was if there was a spare hundred thousand lying around, would you prefer to invest it in a uh, a property, uh, b um, a uh, a managed fund, or c something else? And just kind of I just threw the I threw the cat amongst the pigeons. <laughs> Did um, you what? <laughs> I think it was like one hundred and eighty opinions, or you know, not one person agreed with each other on uh, on it. But it was basically just this. I mean, it kind of goes to show how, you know, we're not really educated or trained in school about how to deploy capital. Um, you know, we live in a system. You learn, here's the great irony. You learn that we live in a system called capitalism, right? And at the center of capitalism, the sun in the middle of the solar system of capitalism is capital, deployment of capital. And then they say, okay, that's enough. Now you know what system you live in. We're not going to show you how to deploy capital. We're just going to tell you that you live in a capitalist system. And, and by the way, your labor. <laughs> you, 
That's we're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you what the rich kids learn. We're going to tell you that you're here's how to work in a factory and and follow follow orders like a good like a good factory worker. Um, so it's just funny. It's it's in, it's indicative that we don't learn how to approach deployment of capital. It, I, I was expecting more of a of a blow up of arguments on there because as you say I think of the 180 I think 180 different opinions so there, there wasn't just a b and c there was a b and c1 c2 c3 c4 yeah. and so on and it was just whatever idea you could come up with everyone had a new idea you know if you had a poll um it was you know 99 98% in c but it had 98 different segments as well it was just unbelievable how there was so many different uh, ideas um thrown into there yeah it yeah. is amazing it is that like the like the touch paper and stand well back, isn't it? Just, well, the, other yeah, we thing, kind of... the other thing you see when you look at those comments, you see emotion, lots of emotion. Yeah. Yes. Um, so you see lots of people saying things like, um, I don't care what the best decision is. I like property because I can touch it. Um, and you, and then you have emotion of, I, I owned a property once and I got absolutely screwed over by my tenant and it took me 12 months to get them evicted and blah, blah, blah. I would never touch it again. Um, I want I want shares. Um, and then you had someone else who says, like, you know, I only buy shares in companies I like. Um, you know, so... Um, so it's it's actually what's interesting there is just the amount of emotion that came through in uh, you know a decision that uh, hypothetically or theoretically a decision would be a logical decision, um, but it's actually it's very emotional decision. I think though that I threw a comment or two in just because it, it's associated with our world in, in which we work, and it has to be, there has to be emotions attach, attached to a decision. And I think you touched on it earlier. You have to forward think and then look backwards, but everyone was lo- was looking backwards on how they were, they were excluding the emotions, I think. And they were looking at the, well, I bought shares before and I lost, so I'm not doing that now anymore. They, they weren't forward thinking. They were backward thinking, which almost defeats being, you know, um, somebody who, who runs a business. Yeah, and and also, what's right for one person isn't right for the other. Which I think yes. I think you might have made that point as well. It's just that whole idea that you know you can't really answer the question without knowing what tax bracket you're on, and thing and and also things like, do you need cash right this minute, or you know, because if you don't, maybe you'd make a decision that's different than if you need cash. So, for example, um, you know, if you're in retirement and you don't have another income then you're going to invest that hundred grand a little bit differently to if you're already earning quarter of a million a year and uh, you've got plenty of cash kicking around and you've just got a spare hundred grand that you're not terribly worried about yeah. in the next five to 10 years. You know, so unless, unless you know, it's not even about the investment itself. It's about how that investment fits into your life. And also you touched on the, the emotions of, you said a spare hundred grand. Not everyone has that, but you may have you may have bought you know an old style scratch card and won it and went. I have no attachment. You may have inherited this from a from an aunt who brought you up and raised you, and you have an, a very very um, yeah. a big emotion attached to it because you don't want to to lose that because it was all her life savings. So there's a million and fifteen questions attached to all of that before you even decide on where you're going to put this money, and um, which people yeah. didn't didn't grasp. So it was it was interesting just reading all of the comments. Yeah, and uh, it kind of validates very much the relationship that you guys talk about having. You know, it's that it's it's like anything. If if you're, you know, if you need to consult someone about a health issue, you don't want to kind of be swamped with the emotion and the logic and the decision and all that sort of stuff yourself. You want to be able to talk to someone who's seen it all before and just talk it through, right? And just kind of have someone who's someone someone who's not connected to the money. Uh, sense check that that um, that decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it's true. What, what, what do or how do you see entrepreneurs growing businesses in the difficult times now? Uh, I see a lot of polarization. So um, imagine like a wave, and some people are surfing the wave and absolutely adoring it and having a great time, and they're more successful than ever. And then other people are getting dumped by the wave and, you know, and, and they might both get interviewed as they walk onto the beach and one person says, oh, this is, this is amazing. These waves are just incredible. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having an incredible experience surfing these waves. And then someone else says, I almost drowned, get lost. But, you know, someone's who's, someone who's getting dumped is not going to be very happy about the waves and someone who's surfing is going to be okay with it. But I feel like what's happening is we're very, we're very much moving into a polarised society. Uh, I think what's actually going to happen as a bigger trend is that what happened to white collar jobs in, uh, sorry, what happened to blue collar jobs in the seventies, eighties and nineties, where they got shipped off to China um, and all the factories closed down and the mining closed down and the oil and gas jobs went away and all that sort of stuff. You know, the blue collar jobs got automated and offshored uh, very, very rapidly in the seventies, eighties and nineties. I see a lot of that happening for white collar jobs um, as we go forward uh, where you know, for example, someone might have thought themselves pretty safe as a web developer and suddenly they get replaced by a web developer in Turkey. Um, someone thought that they were pretty safe as a, um oncologist. Now a piece of AI uh, machine learning software does 250 analyses a day, which gets checked by a trained nurse but doesn't actually require much oncology, uh, you know, um, yeah. Someone who, you know, someone who used to be a, a bookkeeper or an accountant um, is now replaced by a bookkeeper or an accountant who's, who's, you know, 60 miles outside of London and half the price. Um, so we're, we're seeing, um, I think we're going to start seeing a shift towards a global average professional income, which is much lower than we'd experience in London um, or in, in developed countries. Um, with that said, there's also, this is the polarity part. We're going to see more people making, you're going to see, you're going to see tons of 25 year olds making a million a year. Uh, you'll see 25 year olds buying Ferraris and 25 year olds buying big houses. Um, because when you hit a home run now, that ball goes sailing all the way over the fences. Um, there is so much technology innovation where the railroad tracks are down and all you have to do is run something across them. Um, so if you've got an amazing product that sells on Amazon and Instagram and you, you suddenly get an Instagram influencer who's, who's promoting it and, and you use a Shopify website and, you know, you've got an automated dispatch center and you've got three or four people, you know, running a 2 million pound a year fashion business um, this is happening quite regularly. Um, so I know people under the age of 30 who have multi-million pound fashion businesses. They have no store. It is, it is Instagram influencers wear the clothes. They tag, they tag the uh, product. It goes through to a Shopify website store, um, which goes through an automated dispatch center. And they're doing, they're doing millions in sales with high margins, much higher than retailers. Um, and they're selling all over the world. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's just wild. It's so you're going to see more and more people making big money easier than ever. And you're going to see more and more people who used to quite comfortably make 40, 50, 60 grand a year, suddenly struggling to make 30. Yeah. I, I think, I think the whole, you touched on there, the influence market is, is huge. I, I genuinely think we're just scratching the surface with that at the moment. Mm. You know. Oh, well, it's kind of like the last 10 years have been putting down the railway tracks, yeah. but there's not a lot of um, railway cars running across those tracks. And uh, it's noticeable when, when someone does, like Gymshark, for example. Yeah. You know, oh, massive billion, story. Yeah, yeah billion, billion pound valuation. Um, you know, he's just a guy who essentially went online first um, as opposed to retail first. Um, and, you know, uh, you just... You're just going to see in the next 10 years, those railway tracks that have been laid down, you're going to see more people leveraging that infrastructure that's already there and making a fortune. But it's like, it's just like two societies at the moment. There, there are those who get it and there are those who don't get it. Um, and, you know, I love metaphors. I love analogies. Another analogy that I use is like two friends go out for a run and they're running along and then one of them stops and says, oh, what's this thing, this bicycle? I'm going to try this bicycle out. And the other one temporarily for a very short space of time runs ahead and says, ah, oh, that didn't work well for you. Uh, and then the person jumps on the bicycle and powers ahead and very quickly there's a huge gap that forms between the two of them. And the gap basically you've got the runner who says, I'm running harder than ever and I'm not catching up. 
and you've got the cyclist saying, this is easier than ever and I'm powering ahead. And that technology, that bicycle represents technology. There are those who are on the bike and they're loving it. And there are those who are running harder than ever and they're hating it. And that's, that's what we're seeing at the moment. This, this technology, um, this, this technology polarization for those who get it and those who don't. It is that there's, there's three, three people that I love their books of you, um, Nick Murray in America and Fergus Connolly. Um, I better, we better throw in uh, Neil Faki in there in case he does listen to Neil. <laughs> but with Fergus, he's a, a deals with elite performance in, um, in, in, in uh, sports and, he he put down there nine of the most used words because that's the way we have always done it is unacceptable. And um, your neighbours, um, the old blacks have um, something called shituals, habits detrimental to performance. Um, and we see that all the time in, in the world of finance. But do you, do you think that that's what you're referring back to with the bike and that, that people are doing, you know, as, you, as I said, the shituals. And, and do you see that in businesses Sadly, and is that when you try and remove when they go on courses with you guys? Sadly, they don't even know they're doing it. You know, if, you, if you're opening a physical location um, and you're putting all the best practices into your physical location and, and you're really, you know, you, you're dressing your windows the best and you're um, putting up great, beautiful signs on the high, you know, there's all these things that you might be doing which seem like, which seem like they're smart things to be doing but you really don't even realize there's this entire other game <laughs> that, that is playing. Um, you know, like, like for example, um, hugely successful business called Grassfields. Grassfields is urban African fashion. Um, it's set up by an amazing entrepreneur called Christelle um, and sells millions of pounds worth of um, fashion uh, has no retail stores, it, it, like none of the traditional things that you would think of. You wouldn't be able to recognize it in the physical world. And the only way you'd really experience this business is if you went onto Instagram and actually saw fashion influencers in her space um, tagging this stuff and, and she is just selling hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of this, this stuff all the time, constantly sold out. And um, it's like it's almost like the people who are falling behind don't even have visibility of the game that they should be, should be playing. They're not even aware of how different things could be. Um, another, another example, because I've used the fashion example twice, but another example, just something simple. Let's say you get out there and meet people face to face for a cup of coffee to have a first meeting with someone and you're, and then, you know, COVID hits and you think to yourself, okay, I'll have one-to-one -one meetings with people on Zoom. It's like, yes, I'm embracing the technology. I'm in the right, I'm in the right place. But it's like, wait a second. Do you have a really big YouTube channel with, you know, that does that on autopilot? Do you have a book on Amazon that just talks to people, you know, wherever they are? Do you have audio podcasts? You know, we're listening to a podcast. Do you know that on average people listen to 40 minutes of a podcast? That is the average listening time per podcast. So people, when they're listening to a podcast, they are sitting down and they're, or they're walking a dog, they're listening for 40 minutes. Now, a podcast might get listened to 400 times, let's say. Um, not a big one, not a small one. So imagine a podcast that gets listened to 400 times. A couple of people record it, it gets uploaded, 400 people listen to it. It takes, call it four hours worth of production time for 400 hours worth of listening time. So that's a leverage of one to a hundred. Technology is providing a one to a hundred ratio of leverage right there. Now, the person who's meeting someone face to face, there's 260 work days a year. Um, if they met four people per day, which is pretty intense to keep that up every single day of the year. Uh, if they met four people a day, they would potentially meet a thousand people in a year. Um, that person who does a podcast and puts out maybe 10 episodes, you know, they're up to four, five, 6,000 people. Um, and they've only had to do 10 episodes, which might've taken them a, a grand total of 50 hours. Um, so there's just this different game and, and mind you, if you, if done correctly, you get the same result, you actually get the same. You, and, and people who meet people face to face get very frustrated by that. 
they say, well, no, there's, you know, nothing will replace a face-to-face meeting. It's like, that's not how the human brain works. If you've ever read a book and wanted to connect with the author or wanted to buy something from the author, that shows you that the human brain absolutely completely connects with people through written or audio or video. You know, the human brain absolutely bonds with people uh, through video, audio and, and the written word. I think you said you said there after a couple of years those podcasts or whatever it may be expands and all of a sudden with the numbers you you filled out uh, a large football rugby or whatever uh, stadium of eighty thousand people that you would yeah. never have shaken hands with over well, the course of your working lifetime. We've got four hundred videos on our YouTube channel and on average uh, about forty thousand views a month uh, are ticking over, just ticking over. It's like, how the hell would I connect with 40,000 people in a month for free on autopilot in any other way? Like it's, uh, you know, it's just a, a very different world. Oh, it's huge. I, I, there's a YouTuber that I follow and I think he got to something like 150,000 subscribers. And he said, I put that into the perspective of like a big rugby stadium. And he said, I've effectively filled it twice. Yeah. Well, that's a real, I mean, that's a really big 75,000 seat stadium is a yeah, exactly. huge stadium. There are, there are plenty of stadiums that are like 10, 20,000. Oh, yeah. You know, if you, if you look at the Royal Albert hall, that's 5,000 seats. Um, so, you know, it's 30 Royal Albert halls. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it, and, and, and that's kind of, cause I, I said this a shame when we looked at some of our stats of when we, we released the first few podcasts, I was like, Shane was like, do you think that's good? I said, well, let's put all those in our meeting room. Can we fit them in there? He was like, no, we never get a meeting. We got a big meeting room. Yeah. And I was, and I was kind of like, that, that for me was the perspective for me. We couldn't get all those people in our meeting room. And what will happen is it'll happen every month. So, yeah. yeah. Which, which, so, has, which it does. Yeah. It just kind of just another, you know, you, you put all the effort in in month one and then you go, oh, okay. You know, okay. We only got a meeting, a couple of meeting rooms full the following month. And then the following month, and then the following month, and then the following month. And then so it's like, oh, okay, wait a second. I did all that work, but now it's actually paying off over 12 months, 24 months. Um, you know, and the other thing too is you'll, you'll find two years from now that you'll be talking to a client and they'll say, oh, actually, I'm really into cycling. And you'll say, oh, why don't I flick you over the, um, the interview that we did with Neil? And then they listen to that and then they go, oh, that was awesome. I really want to work with you guys as a result of listening to that. And it's kind of like you you might have just done a little email connector um, or here's the other thing that might happen. You might end up with 15 salespeople and those 15 salespeople, they're on the phones talking to people and they're like, oh, actually, have you listened to this? Have you listened to this? Um, you know, so so now now you're actually seriously leveraging on a, on a regular basis. It's amazing when, when we get the listening numbers and you see these people in Australia and America listening to us and you kind of think, wow. And some of the guys, even last last week we were we were talking about something and they were Welsh-based and they were talking about streets and that in Cardiff and they're going, these people in America are not going to know where this is. But it's, you know, it's a worldwide audience. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. As you say, it just spirals month on month on month. We, we have a financial planner um, in Australia who started doing this sort of stuff. And she only works with uh, multi-generational farms, rural farms. You've got to have a, a decent sized farm. It's got to be at least sort of third generation um, farms. And her only type of client that she works with is farming families that want to pass on to, you know, they're thinking, they're thinking two generations at a time. They're thinking about, okay, well, what will the, how, how will we train the grandkids for taking over the the farming, you know, agriculture business, what what university should we send the grandkids to so that they'll be well placed for where the farm will end up? So they think they think in terms of those multi generation farming um, conversations and that kind of rural mindset of the land, um, you know, slow to change, but you know, you know, traditional in values, all those kind of things. Anyway, what's interesting is when she started doing this whole uh, this whole key person of influence thing, she she only really had a addressable market in Queensland, Australia, um, and then very rapidly she was Queensland, New South Wales, and then Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, then Tasmania, then South Australia, then Western Australia, and then 
oh, you know, we're, we're based in uh, South America, but we still have the same values and we've been following along and listening. Can we, can we talk to you as well? And I guess you can, you know, oh, we, you know, we're a farming family in Texas. Do you think we could talk to you as well? You know, would we be able to find a time zone match where we can get on the phone and talk to you? And yeah, I guess, I guess we could, you know, well, we've got, you know, we've got uh, a, a business in Hawaii that's, you know, agriculture based, um, could we talk to you? Yeah, well, yeah, we can do that. So suddenly this whole, you know, niche that she's focused on uh, just opened up, you know, and it's gotten to the point where it's now bigger than she can really handle and she's got her clients and and she's kind of happy with the business and she's pretty much said I can't take any more clients and and I'll, I'll make a recommendation. But, um, you know, she's she's basically gets inquiries every week from from farms all over the all over the world. Amazing, expand so quickly. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That, what, what motivates you, you know, in life? What, what makes you get up in the morning? Yeah, so my personal, I, I did a lot of thinking about what do I want to put my time and energy into for work? Um, what would be meaningful? For me, it's all about entrepreneurs solving the world's most meaningful problems. So um, I love entrepreneurship but with, with a, with a caveat and the caveat is I only really love entrepreneurship if it feels like it's solving a big, important problem. Um, I'll tell you the antithesis of what I don't like. I don't like businesses like Candy Crush. Now Candy Crush made 400 million for its founders. Um, it's a stupid app that wastes people's time and they literally went and hired something like 50 to a hundred of the world's best psychologists and engineers and technologists in order to get people addicted to moving little colorful bits of fruit around on their phone. And it's like, what an incredible waste of human life when you actually add up all the amount of time that is spent on candy crush and the amount of time that the founders invested and the amount of time that the engineers invested to me personally, I don't care if it made 400 million. I don't, I want nothing to do with that kind of a a business. Contrast that with, um, I know a nightclub promoter who left the nightclub promoting world in order to um, build a charity uh, that would give clean water to, to, to millions of people across the world. And he's, to this date, he's built a 70 million a year um, clean water fund that, um, that goes and builds clean water. And he used, wow. all, he used all of his entrepreneurial thinking from building a successful nightclub promotions business to create a brand, to create something cool, to create something that's, you know, got a viral campaign to it. He started from scratch and now he's one of the biggest water charities in the world. Um, And, uh, you know, to me, I look at entrepreneurial thinking, solving one of the world's biggest problems. And to me, that just makes me absolutely thrilled. So I personally don't get in, I don't get excited by just charity that says, um, give us money because you feel guilty. I don't really like that model. And I also don't like entrepreneurship that makes money for making money's sake. Then that's all it's about. It's not really, it's not really about anything else other than the bottom line. But when you combine the two and you have entrepreneur, entrepreneurial thinking, solving big, meaningful problems, for me, that is what, what makes me light up in a big way. Um, and I'm, I'm drawn to it. Like I just, I just love finding new examples of that. Superb. I wouldn't say no to the Candy Crush thing. I'll be honest with you, though. I'll Just take it. Million. Yeah, yeah. We should probably find some good things you could give it, give it away to. <laughs> We've spoken to a lot of sports people, be they uh, Olympic athletes, um, um, professional athletes, uh, coaches, international coaches, and that. And a lot of the stuff that came out was um, along the lines of dealing with entrepreneurs or business owners as well as the, the mental resilience or the mental strength and, and having to, to cope with, um, you know, a shit day. Um, how do you, as, as a business owner, how do you park the bad days and keep putting a, a brave smile on when, when you've had a bad day or how do you cope with the bad days? Cause everyone's had them over the last six months with all the, the crap that's been going on. I, I have a weird thought that always comes back to me, which is, would I put, would I, would I take the risk of um, randomly changing places with anyone else in history or on the planet right now? So let's imagine there was a, a big hat and all the names go into the hat and they say, all right, you can, you can throw your name into the hat 
and we'll draw a new name and you have to change places with that person's life. Um, and uh, would you throw your name into the hat? And it could be anyone throughout all of history or it could be anyone throughout the planet right now, but you'll, you'll end up changing names. And you think there is no way on my worst day, there is no way I would throw my name into that hat. I mean, even if you look at it right now, um, you know, there's 8 billion people on the planet. And if you happen to live in one of the wealthier, luckier countries, you're already in the top billion. Uh, so you're in the top one eighth, even if you're the worst off in Britain, you're pretty much, you're in the top eighth, um, you know, in terms of, uh, of what, what's available to you. Okay. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're at least in the top quarter, but, um, you know, if you've got a fridge, if you've got internet, if you've got clean running water, if, if your idea of going and getting food is, you know, difficult, but not impossible, if going and getting, uh, water is, is, you know, fairly taken for granted, you're in the top quarter of society today, alive today. And if you go back in time of everyone who's ever been born, you know, my God, you're in the top 100th. So, um, I always just think about it like that. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I already won the genetic lottery. I won the time lottery. You know, I wouldn't be born in any other time in history. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't trade places with anyone else. I wouldn't randomly trade. I mean, if I could choose, there are certainly people I would choose to trade places with yes. my, you know, definitely, you know, I'd, I'd love to do a week as Dan Bilzer and or whatever his name is. And, you know, Double serious, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, you know, I'd tra- trade places with him for a few days or something like that. I'm sure. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, of course, if I could, uh, if I could trade places with Chris Hemingsworth or Hemsworth or whatever his name, mm. you know, why not? But, um, but just randomly, no way. And, uh, and it's just that mindset. I, I had a few lucky experiences, uh, in my twenties. I spent some time in the slums in India. I spent some time in rural vir- villages in Africa. Um, and I saw how people live in those and, you know, when I say people live, the slum that is around the Indian Mumbai uh, airport is 4 million people. There's 4 million, there's 4 million people living in, uh, living in the slum around the airport in, uh, in Mumbai. Um, you know, when I went into rural, rural Uganda, you know, there are, there are hundreds, thousands of people living in mud huts uh, that you can just go and go and connect with. There are people who their only possession in the world is a pot that they can boil water in. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who depend upon aid agencies to dump water near their village in order to get through another couple of days. Um, you know, that when you see that firsthand, you give up feeling sorry for yourself wholesale. Um, it's gone. It's out. It flushes it out of you real fast. Um, so for me personally, even on my worst days, I just don't, I just don't acknowledge it. Just don't think about it. I just think I'm still one of the luckiest people on the planet. There's no, you know, like, you know, how many people on yeah. the planet would, would sit and listen to me complain? It's a good answer. Um, yeah. You can, when you put it into context, yeah, we ha- we can't complain about a lot of stuff. Um, so, you know, and if we do complain, it's kind of meaningless things of the internet's not working and it's ruined the day and stuff like oh, that. It is the first world problems, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You, you've, sh- you've shook hands um, when we were allowed to shake hands, I presume, with a lot of influ- influential people and uh, stuff like that. What over the course of your... Back in my day, we used to be able to shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what has been the highs and lows of your your working career so far? Ah, uh, I mean, yeah, I've I mean, I've had a, a some great times. You know, I've I've stood on stage and spoken alongside Bill Clinton and um, uh, Richard Branson and um, you know Gary Vaynerchuk a couple of times and. Uh, you know, just, just some phenomenal people I've, I've attended, you know, attended and spoken at conferences all over the world. I've been paid, I've been paid extraordinary sums of money to travel around the world speaking uh, at different conferences, staying in five-star hotels and, you know, uh, having all of that sort of stuff. I've had, you know, the fun times of jumping on a private jet and going off and having fun and partying with people and, uh, you know, all, all of those. Yeah, I mean, 
God, if you want to talk about, you don't want to change your life. Talking (laughs) about, yeah, talking about the high points. There's there's been some pretty ridiculous, uh, been some pretty amazing high points. I can tell you. And and any any lows, or is that just is that just part of the the roller coaster of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I've had lows, which I would say are part of the the roller coaster of being, you know, being an entrepreneur. I've had, um, you know, I've had uh, certainly the global financial crisis decimated one of my businesses um, and to the point where I personally had to move out of my home and into the spare room of my sister and, um, you know, and it wrecked a relationship that I was in at the time. And um, I, I also, through business, had a major falling out with a close friend um, and we still don't talk um, you know, to this day. And it was, it was just a very nasty kind of, um, breakup, uh, between, between friends who were in business. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've had, uh, I've had employees that are, I've had an employee who was, you know, with me for years and years and years who, uh, who actually had a falling out with someone else at the company and then decided to sue the company, um, for, for, you know, for, for something and you know those kind of things I've had you know I've had all of that sort of stuff um go on um and uh yeah yeah just the kind of typical if you talk to anyone who's been in business for for 20 years who's employed a few hundred people then you start hearing there's there's the entrepreneur roller coaster which takes no prisoners it it, it will deliver those kind of experiences to anyone on it let's let's finish up on a, on a positive note then you mentioned a few uh, people on stage and that is there any any good funny story that you're allowed to legally tell before we finish up that is not going to get you into any trouble <laughs> oh my goodness we've you've kind of thrown me on the spot with that one but um look i will say i mean just behind the scenes all of these people they're incredible they're incredibly ordinary normal people behind the scenes um actually here's a funny story i once put on a conference with some of the biggest, most motivational, inspirational speakers in the world. These are people who get paid between 10 and 50 grand to give a talk. You put them in front of thousands of people and like thousands of people turn up and they get, they queue for hours to get their book signed. And they, you know, these are, these are, these are literally people who describe themselves as motivational speakers, inspirational speakers, or personal development speakers. And I, I was putting on a multi-speaker event with about five or six of them all speaking the next day. So the night before we take, we take uh, them out to a really fancy restaurant and I'm sitting there thinking, Oh my goodness, what is this going to be like? Like I'm going to have this table with the most inspiring people on the planet who are, you know, between them, they've written 30 or 40 books and they've, you know, they've spoken in front of millions of people and I'm at this really fancy restaurant. We've got this nice, table and and everything and I'm I'm going what is this conversation going to be like like this is going to be a moment and they all sit down oh you know did did you did you do the stopover in Texas yeah I did the stopover in Houston oh it's a it's a bit rough that stopover yeah it was a it was a four-hour stopover okay and where did you stop over I came in from uh, Singapore and did you have a stopover yeah, I had a stopover in Dubai. Oh, how long was your stopover? Oh, it was two hours. Oh, okay. And this conversation went on for the next two to three hours where they honestly, they just talked about the most mundane shit that you could possibly, I, I don't know whether they didn't want to reveal their secrets to each other, but they just, it was the like literally falling asleep at the table thinking these guys are just, these guys are boring as batshit. And the following day, all of them get up on stage in front of 2,000, 2,500 people, blow the house down, the whole, you know, the roof comes off, people people had an amazing time. But, but, but behind the scenes, dull as batshit. <laughs> You were you were waiting for those five or ten, you know, golden nuggets of words. Oh, I, thought, that would I thought we were going to solve the world's. I thought we were going to solve the whole world's problems that day. Like I thought, wow, you know, I'm bringing together the United Nations of inspiration here, <laughs> and uh, and nothing, nothing. Um, I'll tell you another similar story. Similar, similar story. I I I I once was promoting a speaker who is a multi international best selling author, who whose whole books were about like finding calm, finding peace, 
being able to manage life's difficult situations. And, and like, that was, that's what he would get up on stage and talk about like this whole kind of centered, you know, uh, being, you know, unwavering confidence and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, I was with him when we were checking him into the Hilton and, and he, he cues up and he, he's like, he's like, uh, which room have you put me in? And they're like, Oh, we put you on the fifth floor. Oh, I wanted to be on the 12th floor. Right. And, and I wanted to get this suite with this, this thing. Right. I, I get an upgrade as part of, as part of my card, I get an upgrade. Right. And it escalated and escalated. And he's having this full on argument with this poor girl about what benefits he gets on his card. And I'm a platinum member. Don't you know who I am and what I get? I get these, I should have an extra office chair in there. And, and I'm sitting there going, dude, your whole life is about talking to people about not freaking out over small stuff and you're freaking out over the smaller shit. Pull yourself together, man. I'm like thinking if, if the people at tomorrow's conference saw you right now, they'd all want a refund. Like, stop it. You child. (laughs) That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah, don't don't put these guys on a pedestal too much. They're they're all human. They're all human. Yeah, I I think we do sometimes have that bit of imposter syndrome, don't we, sometimes when we're still in front of people. Uh, Don't don't compare yourself to anyone who you don't know personally. Yeah. Right? I I bet you that that guy you know who, who has a boiler installation business and employs nine or ten people and who's got a good solid business that pays pays everyone well and pays profits, I bet you you'll get more valuable information and inspiration from someone that you know personally that you can actually see what goes into their day-to-day far more so than the person who presents a very powerful image from the stage yeah. or in the book. Um, it's kind of like fitness. You might see someone who's a fitness, like you might see someone who's crazy fit, and if you don't know them, you might think, oh, wow, like, you know, gee, I'd love to be that fit. But imagine if you knew them and you knew that behind the scenes they're doing endless workouts, they measure everything that they eat, they're constantly obsessed with, you know, whether this was a large boiled egg or a medium boiled egg that I just ate and, you know, they're forever counting their calories and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, on top of that, there, you know that they're actually pretty insecure, and you mm. sit there and go, "Wow, do I really want that life? Do I really do I do I really want to copy that, or do I just like them in that particular moment?" So, never. One thing I've learned from this whole experience: never compare yourself too seriously. Learn from people, of course, learn from people, but never compare yourself too seriously to people you don't actually know. Yeah. No, that, that that's that's brilliant advice. Um, just one very quick last one because we know we got to go. Um, so what? What's, what's next for Daniel Dent, the future? Well, Dent, Dent is on the launch pad at the moment. It feels like, do you know what? It feels like it's a 10-year-old business that's back in startup mode and anything's possible now. And uh, we're, we're embracing technology. We're embracing media. We're embracing software. Um, we're opening ourselves up to a compute, completely new type of client, which we're loving we're, you know, we're finding new ways to market and to sell and to serve and to build and deliver and, and, and uh, work with clients. So all of that's super cool. I don't know where that's all going to lead because like we're just getting a feel for it, but it feels positive at the moment. And it feels like, you know, when, when uh, we got thrown into the deep end in March, it felt like potentially the business could actually suffer a, uh, a pretty savage blow because we were a live events company. We were very physical in the physical world. Um, and at the moment it feels like we could end up being four or five times bigger than we had hoped. Um, uh, and a better, and a better business that, that does more powerful work with more people. Um, so there's that. And then the other big thing that's got my attention is, uh, is score app, scoreapp.com. Um, so I'm loving being in, I'm loving, loving, loving being in like startup land again. So, uh, so we'll we'll have to see how how it all unfolds. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be a cringeworthy disaster that's really embarrassing, or maybe it'll be a home run. We'll have to we'll have to see how we play it out. Watch this space. Brilliant, Daniel. Thank you very Thanks much for thank you sharing your time today. It's uh, much appreciated, and best of luck with uh, with all the, the ventures going forward. Thanks for having me on the show, Daniel. Thanks very much for taking time out of your hectic day to chat to us. 
head over to the website www.sanfp.co.uk to learn more about us and the journey. Well, that's it for this episode. We're 25 episodes in. Amazing. During the period of lockdown, we have spoken to some great people. The next two weeks, our podcasts will be the best of the first 25 episodes. Hashtag the best bits. You can hear this wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, don't forget to click subscribe to get all the latest episodes as soon as they arrive. Don't forget to listen to our Chats to Bar series every Tuesday for a short insight into business, money, finance, aspirations, dreams, and planning. Also, if you're enjoying the series, please do leave us some feedback with a quick review as it helps us grow and ensure that we are giving the audience the best experience. Until next time, thanks very much for listening.